Our sermon text comes from John chapter 11, starting in verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I have a confession this morning. Uh, it regards uh, a little bit of my sermon uh, preparation process. I've gotten in the really bad habit, actually, of uh, uh, not finalizing uh, the final uh, piece of notes that I have until uh, between 10 and 12 o'clock on Saturday evening. Now, that's not like an ideal situation. It's just uh, what the season is called for. It does not mean that I normally wait until Saturday. I get uh, the kind of primary points and everything to our team uh, on Monday every week. If they tell you that it's on Tuesday, they're lying. It's never on Tuesday. It's never late. But uh, not until Saturday evening do I typically get to actually type out my final set of notes. And uh, four Saturdays ago, I was having a little trouble on my final point, um, and uh, it was in the 11 o'clock hour, and um, as I normally do, I'm kind of sitting in a uh, leather chair and typing them out, and if I kind of run up against something, I'll, uh, I'll stand up, I'll walk around, I'll typically look out of one of uh, our windows, uh, and typically I'll, I'll find eventually the back window of our house that watches stars kind of set in the west, and there's this one star that honestly, since Sawyer and I have built uh, our house out in Lido, just intrigues me because it's way brighter than all of the other stars. Uh, perhaps it's a planet, I don't know, but it's been there for the last uh, for the last year, and Andy's laughing because I'm too cheap to buy the $19.99 like app to figure out which star it is, uh, and I've told him about this, but uh, four weeks ago, I was watching this star uh, set in the west uh, while I was having trouble uh, writing this final point, and my phone started to buzz in my pocket, and I thought it was probably Sawyer. She's never out that late, but she was with Stephanie that evening, and uh, I felt a buzzing in my pocket and picked up, and it was Sterling. Um, 
Sterling had, uh, while I was, you know, just wondering about this bright star, uh, been making calls to a few people, uh, just telling people that he uh, was about to be uh, intubated, that he was about to be sedated and then uh, intubated uh, so that he could be uh, able to breathe a little bit better. And uh, when he called me, uh, you would imagine that he would, you know, call for like, you know, some amount of solace or, you know, just to kind of talk through that or uh, afraid. And he really wasn't. He called me to tell me that, uh, that, he, that this was going to happen and used the rest of, or tried to use the rest of that conversation to encourage me. That's what he called for. It wasn't to just tell me that it was going uh, to be intubated. He, he called me to talk about me, which was really crazy and incredible. Um, I, I quickly diverted that conversation to, uh, to prayer, to pray over him because uh, uh, he may not have been concerned, but I was and just uh, wanted to be um, a lifeline for him and, and encourage him and pray for him in the midst of that. Last night, I was standing at the same window, uh, same star, and uh, instead of expecting a phone call, I was actually listening to uh, Sawyer in the next room talking with Stephanie. And, and this time, I wasn't uh, trying to figure out what my, uh, like how to phrase my final point, as has never been my custom to prepare a sermon uh, quite this late. I was trying to figure out uh, maybe more precisely where to start everything. I knew uh, ultimately what I felt like God was showing me throughout the day, um, but I was having trouble figuring out how to get it started. Um, I knew that I wanted to talk a little bit about how uh, to grieve, how we can grieve as a body, how I grieve, uh, how do we lead others to grieve, how do we lean on one another in the midst of grief. And I thought that we might take uh, a moment to learn something about grief from looking at Jesus's grieving process that we just read through here in the 11th chapter of John. And, and here's, what I, here's what I think that we discovered this morning. If you just want to uh, jot this down, if you want to uh, hide it in your heart, here's what I think that we see. I think that we see that Jesus grieves by seeing, weeping, and freeing. Jesus grieves by seeing, weeping, and freeing. He sees he weeps, he frees. And, and in order for us to really get, I think, the full weight of that, there's some things that we kind of have to know uh, about this passage. We're just kind of dropping into this passage for uh, one week, as it were. Um, and here's what I think that we need to really get our arms around. We need some context, and we need to know what the problems are so that we can really understand how Jesus grieves. So what I want to do is actually uh, not start there in verse 32. I want to go all the way back to verse 1 and just read this out and make a couple of assertions about the context, about how this is happening and what is going on around it. So join with, you, uh, join with me, if you would, in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord uh, with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead in death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, when Jesus, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. 
Here's what we need to understand a little bit about the context this morning. All of the context points this morning are going to be found in the context of love. Jesus loved and he loved deeply. But right here in verses 1 through 6, I think that we discover that his love is mysterious. He has a mysterious love. We see that Jesus loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves Lazarus. So, what does verse 6 say? So he stayed two more days. It's pretty mysterious. Jesus' love is mysterious. I think that this week uh, and, and the weeks prior, we've all been praying some pretty big things. We've been praying for uh, healing for loved ones. We've been praying for healing for Sterling. Uh, in, in some sense, I, I think that I've gone uh, to the nth degree just making myself a fool for some of the big things that I've been praying for Sterling. And, and here, what we see is, is that Jesus loves these. He loves Mary. He loves Martha. He loves Lazarus. So, instead of going to them immediately, he stays. What a strange thing. Jesus' love is mysterious. His will is mysterious. Picking up again in verse 7. Then after this, he said to the disciples, Let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were now seeking to stone you. And are you going to go there again? I want to pause there just for one moment to understand what's really happening here. It's it's still motivated out of love. He may have stayed in love, but now he is going in love. And he's going to a place that we pick up from the context here is going to be dangerous for him. You see, Bethany would have been in Judea, would have been near uh, Jerusalem. There were all of these people that had started seeing, uh, seeing Jesus do all of these miracles and not obey their rules that they kind of laid on top of the law, and they had sought to kill him. And so for him to go back for the purpose of love was very courageous. What we see here in verses 7 through 10 is that Jesus' love is courageous, Jesus loves them so much that he's willing to risk his life in order to enter into their grief. Jesus loves them so much that he's willing to risk his own life to enter into their sorrow and their grief. Jesus' love is mysterious, but Jesus' love is also courageous. He will leave the 99 and come after the one. He will model sacrifice in order to enter into our grief. Verse 11, verse 11 says this, after saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant he was taking a rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us all go, that we may die with him. What we see is is that Jesus' love is not just mysterious, it's not just uh, courageous, it's clairvoyant. Jesus loves in a way where he knows what they need, both Lazarus and the disciples. 
in in a mysterious, all-knowing kind of way, in a way that really only God, only Jesus, this God-man, could do. He loves them in a way where he knows everything that needs to happen. Now, if you're like me, you're a little jealous of that. Because a lot of times I try to express my love in ways that really don't meet up with the needs of people. Or even if they do, if they, uh, if they meet up in the ways that I think that they need to be loved, in, in turn I find out that they've lo- fallen flat. My love often misses the mark, but Jesus knows everything. He's clairvoyant. He loves in a clairvoyant way. Jesus' love is all-knowing. Jesus loves us too much to give us what we want. Rather, he gives us his love in the way that we most need. So the context of this entire story is one of Jesus' courageous and mysterious and clairvoyant love. However, despite the fact that Jesus' love is the context for this story, if we look close, there are a couple of really discernible problems in the story. Some of them are really obvious. Some of them are very obvious. Starting in verse 17, we read this. Now, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in a tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Mary or Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha had heard Jesus was coming, she went and met with him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again. In the resurrection, on the last day, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. What I think that we discover right there in verse 17 is the first most difficult big problem, but it's not difficult to see. And that is, is that Lazarus is dead. Lazarus, Jesus' beloved friend, Mary and Martha's brother, is dead. And that is a big problem. Why is that a big problem? Now, we live on this side of the resurrection, but they didn't. So, we might tend to think of like ancient cultures and civilizations as being very mystical, as uh, being people that were like uh, very easy to fool, very easy to trick. But here's the truth. If you read this really closely, none of the characters in this story have any expectation that anything is going to happen with Lazarus. They're not expecting resurrection. They may, and they do express, that they would have expected him to live if Jesus had come, but now that he is dead, there's nothing he can do about it. That's a very interesting thing. This is a huge problem. Death seems final to them. Death seems in our daily life to be so final to us. But that's what I see in verse 17. Verse 21, though, we see that Martha is not disbelieving. 
She says, even now, I know that God will give you anything that you ask from him. So she's not unbelieving. She's not disbelieving, but she does sound disappointed. If you had been here, he would not have died. I wonder how many of us can really kind of understand something of what Martha is experiencing in this text, especially this week. We're not disbelieving. We're not distrusting. We don't know that uh, you know, God has somehow been dethroned. We don't believe in some way that Jesus is not the resurrected king of all creation. But we've been praying really big things. I got the opportunity to see my friend laying in a hospital bed and just praying, God, heal him. Sterling, get up. I'm not disbelieving. Even now, I'm not disbelieving anything that God wants to do. He can do. But I am a little disappointed. (laughs) I do feel like Martha. I do feel like I can express some of that disappointment to our great God. And I hope that you do too. We're not disbelieving, but the problem is is that we do have some level of disappointment in our hearts. We see further in verse 27 that Martha's not misinformed. When, when, When Jesus says, do you know, do you know who I am? I'm the resurrection and the life. What does she say? She doesn't say, I've got questions. I've got questions about that. What what did she say? She says, I know. I know you are. You're the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into this world. So she hasn't been misinformed, but she might be misunderstanding what he has come to do. Verse 23 says this, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise. Jesus tells her. He's trying to uh, inform her about what he's going to do. He's trying to give her hope. He's trying to tell her he's going to rise again. And she goes, I know he will in the resurrection on the last day. And he's like, you're not getting the kind of glory that I've got in store for you. He says, I am the resurrection, and the life. Even though you might die, if you believe in me, you will live. And the last problem that I see kind of buried in the midst of this, and it's one that we've really got to get our arms around. We've got to confront. We've got to, in the midst of grief, if you are grieving today, you've got to actually be honest about in some way. And that's that up till this point in this story, Jesus seems pretty stoic. He seems pretty unfeeling. He seems pretty uncaring. Send away and tell Jesus that Lazarus, his friend, is ill and going to die. Evidently, he was so ill, and they knew it so much, that he was buried pretty much the same day that he died. They knew that it was coming. And Jesus goes, I love him, so I will wait here for two more days. And then when he gets there, Martha comes out to him, and she's talking with him, and it almost seems like that Jesus is kind of detached just a little bit. 
He knows what's going to happen, and so he's not all that much concerned. In fact, you could be forgiven for reading this and saying, man, not only did Jesus wait, but now he's being a little bit cryptic. And at the very end with Martha, it's almost like he's giving her a theological test. Do you know who I am? And the resurrection and the life. I know you are. I'm going to raise him yeah, on the last day. No, I am. It just seems a little sterile, a little stiff-armed. How can we put our hope in a Savior who does not seem to understand or to feel our pain? And that's where we get in to the verses that Andrew read earlier. I want you to join with me there and understand something of the way that Jesus grieves. The first thing that we're going to see in verses 32 through 34 is that Jesus sees those who are grieving. Verse 32, read it with me. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her were also weeping, he was deeply moved and in his spirit greatly troubled. He was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. The first point that we need to get here in the midst of all of this is that Jesus sees those who are grieving. When he saw her weeping, when he saw this collection of Jews, this community that had surrounded these two women, he sees this crowd of people that is just weeping, that is torn, that is broken open. It's not just that there is like water falling from their eyes. It's expressing something that is in their hearts. And Jesus sees it. What we need to understand this morning is that Jesus is near to the brokenhearted, that he saves the crushed in spirit, that Jesus sees the afflicted. It is okay to throw yourself at Jesus' feet out of desperation like Mary. Why? Because he will not overlook you. It is okay to say hard things, maybe even to charge Jesus. If you had not been here, he would not have died why? Because he sees your tears. It's okay to petition Jesus saying, Lord, come and see where we've laid him, like verse 34 does. Take a look at Lazarus. He won't look away. It's okay to surround and support someone who is grieving. Why? Because Jesus sees you too. Jesus sees those who are grieving Would it be enough for Jesus just to take notice of you, to see it and then to turn away? Of course it wouldn't. But what Jesus does in the midst of his seeing is that he does far more. He comes and he enters in. Verse 35, we see that Jesus weeps for those who are grieving. Verse 35, Jesus wept. Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And when he comes to the tomb, Jesus wept. If you don't know this, this is the shortest verse in uh, all of Scripture. 
It's two words long, and it expresses something huge, something deep about Jesus. It's almost like the shortest verse in the Bible is just bursting with deep hope for those who are grieving. Why? Because Jesus weeps over his dead friend. Now, Now, here's something that's really interesting. Did he already know that Lazarus was dead? Yeah. He, he says as much. He tells us, he tells them, I know that Lazarus has fallen asleep. And, and since they couldn't get it, he even just cuts straight to the tra- chase and just goes, Lazarus died. So why is he weeping here? He comes and he sees their grief and it says that he was moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. In the Greek, I want you to know something these words could not be more emphatic. These are words that are like reserved for expressing great frustration, great anger. In other areas of Scripture, these are things that are just, you can't get past. And what he says here, what is said about Jesus here, is that he is profoundly sorrowful at death, that he is suffering in some way with a deep, sense of anger at the effects of sin, Jesus weeping doesn't just mean that it's okay to weep. It means that Jesus weeps and mourns with you. Jesus doesn't just see. Jesus weeps. If you're wondering how it is that the God of this universe experiences grief, he sees and he weeps. Jesus isn't stoic. He's not unfeeling. He's not uncaring. He is a savior that is not at an arm's distance. He's a friend who sits by you and weeps. Man, if there is nothing else that grabs you this morning, then just to know that the God of this universe weeps with you, that he's experienced what you're experiencing, that he knows something about pain, that he is in some sense just wrenched in his spirit, to know in some way that this God of the universe is broken in his heart when he sees his friends grieving. To know that he is greatly troubled in your time of trouble. We see this just confirmed in verse 36. So the Jews said, after seeing that he was weeping, so the Jews, this crowd of people, this group of friends that had kind of surrounded Mary and Martha, when they saw all of this, they said, see how he loved him. They didn't say, see how he's stiff-armed, see how he's cold and stoic and put together. He didn't shed a tear. He's strong. He's a man's man. He didn't get in there. He didn't let it affect him. They said, see how he loved him. And there's just something where 4.30 yesterday morning, I'm reading this passage, when Sawyer's on her way up to the hospital, I'm just reading this passage where, I mean, you know, I don't want to lay this situation over the top of this passage. But in verse 32 or 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. And now 
it says, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. And I can't help but just lay that over the top of this situation. I just can't believe that an all-knowing, all-powerful, grieving savior of sorrows could see Stephanie, could see us as a family, and not just be brokenhearted, and not weep alongside of us, being troubled for the day of distress that we have. I can't read that last passage without just going, man, see how Jesus loved him. What a great Savior we have. Jesus has a great love, and you can see it. Here, preserved in this text, we can see his great love for his friends. This story is not only, maybe not even primarily about Lazarus or Mary or Martha or even those who grieved. Do you know this? This story really is about a cosmic story of love that God has for all of his people. We can receive it today in some ways that are helpful for us, but we have to acknowledge at some level that this story wasn't really about Lazarus. It wasn't just about, you know, a, a person that you might be grieving today, hearing about and remembering our fathers and our mothers and those friends that we've had that have gone before us. It, it's not primarily about that. You see, God in heaven didn't just receive angelic reports saying, Lord, She who you love is ill. Your bride is down there and she's in distress. She's been found in sin and she will die. He didn't just hear these like reports from some angelic being like, you know, uh, throwing up all of this information about how the bride of Christ was ill, suffering, near death. He sees the illness of his people. He sees it. And he says, this illness does not lead to death. <laughs> this is, it's just such good news. This illness that's in my bride, it won't end in death. It'll end in glory. This passage, this love passage is about God's glory. It's not about death. That's not where it ends. Now Jesus loved And in this passage, it says, now Jesus loved Mary, and he loved Martha, and he uh, loved Lazarus. I mean, what careful, amazing things. Wouldn't it be amazing in the pages of Scripture to find your name, like, listed there, that now Jesus loved Andrew. I mean, he loved Bailey. He uh, loved Tyler. He loved you. Wouldn't it be amazing to find your name there? He loved He loved Sterling, he loved Stephanie, he loved Jordan, he loved Brian, he loved Chrissy. Man, he loves us. He loved, difficult word here, so he waited. He loved us, so he waited that 
death might be seen as well, that our sin might be before us, that we might know in some way that we're goners, we're dead to sin. He waited. Then he said, let me go. I will go to them in the midst of their sin and grief. I will go into danger. I will face danger for the love that I have for them. I will go to Judea. I will face the people who mean to put me to death. I will go to the cross, and I will die there. Jesus faces this with great courage. Jesus says, I must go see them. I must go weep with them, and I must be with them in the midst of their death. Verse 38, then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. This tomb that's filled with four uh, days of uh, death, of odor, and he says, roll away the stone. And what we find in verse 40 is this. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. That's you too. You're hearing this declaration. He's saying that the God of this universe, the Father, has sent him there. Thank you, Father, that you always hear me. And when he had said these things, he cried out, With a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen straps and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. What does that sound like to you? What language does that say? His hands and his feet, they were bound together. uh, Roll away this tomb. The stone from in front of it, crying out, Lazarus, come out. And then the dead man comes out of the tomb. What does that sound like to you? What it sounds like to me is freedom. Jesus doesn't just see, he doesn't just weep, he also frees those who grieve. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory And in verse 43, when he says, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. I think that what we get is is this testimony that when we cry out, I don't know, have you been crying out this week? In some ways, have you been crying out for uh, God to take notice of Sterling, to take notice of our community? Have you been crying out? Me too. Does it always work for you? Every time that you cry out, everything that you declare to God, everything that you ask for, does it always work? It does with Jesus. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen uh, strips and his face wrapped. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Jesus frees Lazarus. Jesus frees those who are mourning. 
What do you think that their like, response was in that moment, seeing a dead person come alive? We read this with just such sterileness, like, of course that happened. No, no, no. People who had never seen a dead man come alive again literally saw a dead person walk out of a tomb. There are many people out there that would just love to like throw a wrench. Well, you know, he probably just had some respiratory like issue. They just couldn't detect. Like they just didn't know. They didn't have like the heart monitor to know. No, he was four days dead and he stinketh. That's what the King James Version says. He was dead. And they saw him walk out alive. Man, what power. When we cry out, it may not always result in something. But when Jesus cries out that a dead man walk again, It's happening. It is happening. Jesus frees those who are dead. And the people that are around them must have just shouted for joy. How do you have this kind of authority over death? Here's what we need to know. Jesus didn't just cry out in this instance. He didn't just say, Lazarus, come out in a loud voice. We see this crying out from Jesus in two other places. I'll mention them briefly because they'll, they'll speak for themselves. There on the cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's crying out that it's now not Lazarus who's in a tomb. It's him that is facing death and separation from God the Father. He cries out. What gives him the authority to say to a dead man, rise again? Because he faced death. But not just there. Jesus also will descend with a cry. That's what 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 says. That in the end times, Jesus will return to earth, this earth that is part of his kingdom with a new heavens and new earth. And the first thing that we will know of why that is happening is not because of some group of people that's like raptured up or like some uh, group of prophets that prophesy his coming. It's that he will descend with a cry of command. What is that going to sound like? I don't know, but you know what I do know? When he does, the chambers of earth, the tombs, the mortuaries, all of them are going to be relieved of all of the saints their bodies will rise again. Jesus has authority over death because he faced it and he conquered it and he will come again with a cry of command. Jesus sees those who are grieving and he comes to them. He weeps over them and then he frees them from death. Do not let life lull you into the grave. Don't let it do it. All of us feel it in some sense. None of us focuses at all on our mortality day in and day out. Why is that? It's because the things of this world want us to forget that we will die. It it, it may seem like uncouth or untimely to talk about death in such a certain way, but I, I really, honestly, I take my lead from Jesus here. Nobody's really getting it. He's using, you know, a little bit cryptic language. People aren't getting it. He fell asleep. They didn't get it. So he just said, Lazarus died. It's a hard truth. Lazarus died. Sterling died. You will die. Don't let 
life lull you to sleep. Do not be disbelieving or disappointed for Jesus has come to us. In the midst of disappointment, it's okay to express that to God. (laughs) I really have. I've expressed some disappointment this week. But Jesus came. He certainly came here. Do not be misinformed. Do not be misunderstanding, for Jesus has accomplished his purpose. Do not believe for one moment that Jesus doesn't care, that he doesn't understand, for he has experienced it. Just what you're experiencing. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? That's not my application question this morning. It's not like I thought, man, that'll be a good way to end that. Jesus' words to her are, do you believe it? Man, let us just join with Martha in the midst of her grief and just say, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus has come with authority over life and death and eternal life. Do you believe it? Let's pray. God and Father, we are just so thankful for the testimony of your word this morning that tells us, that shows us, that displays for us this morning that Jesus sees us. Not in some ethereal, off-handed, stiff-armed way, he sees us. He weeps with us. He experienced death for us. And he is the resurrection and the life. So God and Father, I pray that you would allow for City Church to believe this in a united way that we never have before. Lord, that we would lead lives of uh, love just like you, that love would be the context of our lives, Lord, so that we could be supporting one another who are grieving, so that we could have the gospel on offer Lord, for those who are grieving so that we in the midst of our own suffering and sin can believe the gospel. Father, I pray in your great grace that you would use this for your own purposes and I pray it all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.